Welcome to Chasing Compliance, the global regulatory podcast, where we discuss all aspects of medical device and pharmaceutical regulatory strategy from bench to bedside. We are really excited to officially announce the initiation of the Global Clinical Evaluation Report, or CER, internship program. And to celebrate this milestone, we thought it would be fitting to take a slight detour and chat with a few global CER writers about their transitions from academia or industry into regulatory writing. I will be interviewing four writers as part of this two-part series. This is part two of the series, where we'll be chatting with a doctor of physical therapy, or DPT, Jacob Hoffman, and a physician, Juliet Pena, about their experience leaving the clinic and entering regulatory and medical writing. If you're interested in learning more about the internship, please listen to part one of this series, where I interview one of the lead mentors on the internship program, Beth Meyer, about the internship, and I interview Dan Scheide about moving into regulatory and medical writing after completing a PhD. Our first guest today will be Jacob Hoffman. Jacob earned a Bachelor's of Arts from Pacific Lutheran University and a Doctor of Physical Therapy, or DPT, from the University of Puget Sound. Currently, Jacob is a senior associate on the CER team. Jacob, thanks so much for coming on Chasing Compliance. Thanks for having me. I uh, listened to a few of the other episodes recently, so I've been looking forward to getting on here myself. It's good to be here. Well, we're excited to have you, especially with your background. It's really cool that you came from a physical therapy background into regulatory writing. And I'm sure there were a couple of bumps along the road. And I'm excited to hear about your experience. But before we dive into how you got into the actual regulatory space, why did you go to PT school? Uh, so I first got interested in PT through my experiences as a patient, uh, both when I was in high school and then also in college. I had a shoulder injury while playing baseball in college. I had an awesome experience going through PT at that time. And that's kind of when I realized, hey, I could see myself doing this and, you know, started to pursue that career path. Um, so then I ended up going straight from my undergrad experience right into a three year physical therapy program. How did you find a, about medical writing in this process? You know, I sort of found out about this field uh, by accident. I learned about it through a patient of mine while I was still working as a PT. Um, she was the one who first introduced me to this. And, you know, before that, I, I truly had no idea about this field. How did you actually end up getting your first medical writing job? Did you go out and search for it or did somebody approach you? Yeah, so I was I was actually approached and, and recruited to come here work here at Global. Um, it the timing just worked out where I was already um, getting a little bit burnt out with the PT field and kind of was in the early stages of con, you know considering a career change and you know I was in the right place at the right time and and this sort of fell into my lap and I've uh, never looked back. Once you joined Global, what were your first impressions of regulatory medical writing? You know, I truly went into this job pretty blind. I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into. I just knew that I was ready for a change. And, um, you know, the biggest the biggest reason I did, wasn't happy with PT was, was just the social aspect of it. That was uh, very exhausting for me. And this type of work, working from home was very attractive to me for that reason. Um, but otherwise, I didn't know a ton about the field. The way it was described to me, um, 
you know, it sounded a lot like being paid to be a grad student. And, you know, I always like being in school and it sounded pretty nice after, you know, being out in the real world working for a little while there to kind of go back and return more to something that felt more like school um, where I could continue to learn, but also, you know, be paid at the same time. And then you moved into this world. What, what challenges did you encounter originally? Do you think it's like being a graduate student? Do you feel like you're constantly learning all the time? What did you find was more fun or easier than you thought it would be? What did you think was harder than it was going to be? You know, I think the biggest challenges probably came with just the remote environment. You know, we've all been working remotely since before the pandemic. Um, so early on, you know, I think the biggest challenge was just as I was being trained, kind of knowing when to reach out, ask questions or when to just, you know, kind of figure out things on my own. I always had this sense that, you know, I was kind of being annoying or pestering people when I'd reach out. And, you know, looking back on that. Um, a couple of years later, especially after having trans people myself, you know, I realized that was never the case. You know, we welcome questions. We're all on the same team here. But, you know, early on, that, that was definitely a challenge, knowing who to reach out to and when to reach out. Um, but otherwise, I think everyone has been really supportive ever since I first started here. Um, and, you know, the training, I'd say, went pretty darn smoothly. And I have felt you know, that I've gradually been able to progress into the role I have now and taken on more and more responsibility each month that goes by. It's worked out really well. And again, I kind of just jumped into it blind. It was a little bit scary early on, but, you know, it's, it's all worked out and there haven't really been too many bumps in the road. Oh, that's great. Now, now that you're a expert CER writer, would you say that you're still learning all the time or do you find that you're doing kind of the same thing day in, day out? I think that some people looking at this field think, oh man, you know, I don't want to do TPS reports all day. I don't want to do the same document over and over and over again. Um, do you think that that's what writing, C I mean, you write, a, you work on CERs all the time and the associated documents. Would you say that your job is the same day after day? Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, it helps working with a variety of clients and then different project managers within clients. And then also just the approach we have here where we work in pairs or small groups. Like I'm always doing something different, whether it's, you know, collaborating with my colleagues internally or, you know, communicating with different project managers, figuring out their style, what they like. So, yeah, there's it's it's always different keeps you on your toes for sure. It, it does not, it doesn't feel monotonous to me. There are certain, certain tasks that can be tedious for sure, but it's not, you know, I would not say that's the day-to-day -day experience by any means. So yeah, there's definitely lots of opportunities to learn in terms of the customer service aspect, um, but also just the material that we're reading and researching. You know, we work on a variety of devices and I'm always learning something new every day. I, I can't agree with you more. I think that the CER, yes, we write CERs all the time, but uh, CER is just a framework, right? And what you put into it changes for every single project and every single device. Full disclosure, Jacob and I worked closely for the better part of a year this last year on a suite of devices, which were all very similar in nature and every single project was different and brought its own challenging situations, its own rewarding situations. Um, and I, I definitely don't wake up on Monday morning going, I got to do that again. 
I'm excited to figure out, you know, what, what are they, are they going to be the next stepping stones? What are going to be the next challenges? So that's, that's an interesting, and I think an important perspective to have for anybody considering moving into the regulatory writing space. So you mentioned a second ago that, you know, you found being social all day would be hard. I completely feel the same way. I couldn't, don't think I could talk to people all day, every day. And a lot of people that work in regulatory writing and especially that work remotely are introverted by nature. Do you feel that you're ever isolated or conversely, you work on a team, you are almost always on a team of people, often mentoring and leading people. Do you find that there's a ton of social interaction and that you're exhausted at the end of the day? Or do you think that it's a good balance and a good mix? I think it's an awesome balance. You know, again, going into this, I wasn't really sure what it was going to look like. Part of me was wondering, am I going to be isolated? Am I going to hate this? Uh, but that has not been the case at all. We collaborate, talk to our teammates really as much as we want to. Like, and, and it's, it's great to have people to share the experience with. You know, I think this would be a very different experience if I was just writing CERs alone all the time. But the fact that we at least have a buddy, if not a few, it makes the experience just so much more enjoyable overall. And I think it's a good balance for sure. I never feel exhausted at the end of the day by any means. Occasionally, you know, meetings will stack up or whatever and you're ready for a break, but uh, not not at all in the same way as when I used to, you know, treat patients for 10 hours a day and have to be on point all day long. You know, that that takes a different kind of energy and, you know, that just wasn't a great fit for me. And I've found that this is uh, definitely more up my alley. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I truly like everybody that we work with. I think that, you know, we've got, uh, we're in a kind of a luxurious situation at global because everybody here, they're great people and they're just fun to interact with in general, but they also know when to, they know how to respect boundaries and we all respect each other when it's, you know, clear that somebody's very busy and just needs to put their head down and get things done. And we also, you know, have meetings where we just chat. So we get kind of the best of both worlds when we're, you know, working remote. I think that's kind of a unique situation. Yeah, definitely. And and even though we're all in different areas, different states, you know, I, I feel like I have work friends, you know, even though there's only a couple of people I've actually met in person, um, you know, there's, we've really gotten to know each other, which is cool. And I didn't necessarily think that was going to be part of what I was signing up for. So looking back and I, You've kind of already answered this question, but do you think that medical writing and regulatory writing gets easier over time? And what would you say is your favorite aspect of the job? I would say that, yeah, in in some ways it does for sure. I think like my confidence has improved a lot and just like problem solving skills, kind of decision making, knowing when to ask questions, knowing when to figure it out on your own and take a shot at it and, you know, be receptive to feedback those kinds of things come with experience. But at the same time, it gets harder because we take on more and more responsibility and, you know, the whole time management is is challenging. We are often working on tight, tight timelines, um, juggling multiple projects at once. So it, it's a good balance that, you know, it's, it hasn't gotten boring by any means. Yeah, I completely understand that. It, it definitely, you're 
responsibility can increase commensurate with your abilities. But what I think is cool about the new global internship is that you're kind of protected. You get to learn all the aspects, but there's a little bit or a lot more flexibility in the time you're given to get things done. So all of us came into regulatory or medical writing with no experience, right? Everybody in the field at one point had never written a document in their life. However, I think that there are some things that make people naturally better at medical writing than others. What do you think are some of these skills? What do you think makes a great regulatory medical writer? Do you think there's innate talent or skills that can help you succeed in this job? Or is it just, you know, putting your head down and getting the work done? Yeah, I think there are definitely some qualities that go a long way. You know, the big one being just the problem solving skills that we were just talking about, you know, with this kind of work, like there is rarely one right way to do something. And a lot of times, you know, you just have to give it your best shot and kind of know where to look for solutions. Um, so that's huge. And then also just in the remote environment, you know, being a self-starter, self-motivated type of person goes a long way. And again, I think because we work in, in groups, you know, it's, it's easier to hold yourself accountable and, you know, want to do good work and be on time for your teammates and everything like that. Um, and then another thing is I think all of us to some extent have a little bit of a type A personality and, and, that's a big deal. It's one thing if you have, you know, good content, but to really create a professional looking document and, you know, keep our clients happy, we, we all need to, you know, be perfectionists to some extent and everybody has different strengths and, you know, brings different things to the table, but that, that is a, a big deal. And it, it might not seem like it and not, not seem like it would require that much effort, but when you're, you know, working on documents that are hundreds of pages long, it's, it can be tough to, you know, make things look good. So I think all of those things go a long way. So putting yourself in the shoes, very similar to the shoes that you wore, somebody that had just completed um, some type of professional training, medical school, PT school, pharmacy school, or even, earned a PhD, they may feel like they need to work in the field because they've invested so much time and a lot of their resources into earning their degree. And they may be nervous about jumping ship or feel guilty despite just kind of a not wanting to work kind of similar to your story. You just understood fundamentally that this probably wasn't the way that you could have the happiest life. What do you have to say to those people? Do you have any messages to them? And do you think that you, all of your professional training is is for naught? Or do you draw on your professional training? Yeah, this was a big one for me. I struggled with this decision for several months um, before I finally made the leap. Um, I was not too far removed from physical therapy school. I'd spent three years in school, you know, invested thousands of dollars um, it was a big deal to just leave that all behind. Um, thankfully I had people in my life who are, you know, kind of encouraging me to <clears throat> at least just give this a shot just so I wouldn't be left wondering the rest of my life, you know, what it could have been like. And also I had to remind myself too, that there's such demand for PT jobs that like, say I didn't like this, it didn't work out. I would have had no problem finding another job. Um, 
But at the same time, like I felt loyalty to the company I was working for. Like I felt like I was letting a lot of people down. So by leaving and yeah, it was, it was a big, a big deal, but here I am. And it's like definitely been the right decision. It's, it's been a couple of years now and I never looked back. So I am definitely, definitely feel good about the decision I made. Um, in terms of preparation for, for this field, like, yeah, that my experience, uh, in PT school working as a clinician definitely prepared me for this. And I also have to remind myself too, just without having that advanced degree, like I would not have been offered this job in the first place. Um, but yeah, in terms of the day to day, like having the medical background, um, certainly helped, uh, many of my, our colleagues, you know, have research experience. I'm a bit of an outsider, um, in that sense, cause I did not come from that background, but you know, not too many of us have the clinical experience. So I think I bring something a little bit different to the table and have, you know, a little different, uh, perspective than some. And then I think the biggest thing, honestly, has been just the customer service side of things. Um, you know, communicating with patients all day long, talking with physicians and other referral sources, you know, has really prepared me just to be able to interact with our clients, develop rapport with like the different project managers we work with outside of global. And then also, you know, just being a good teammate internally as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you're in a situation where you can draw on a team of people with all kinds of research and medical and writing backgrounds. You know, you and I worked closely on some very complicated projects and we would help each other. You know, I would help you from more of the scientific basic research side and you would help me with understanding clinical things because a lot of my PhD was done at the bench, like many of our colleagues. Um, so we can complement each other in that way. But would you say that DPT that is looking to get into regulatory writing, who maybe wants to go into freelance or go into another firm where they're not sure they're going to have that hard scientific support, would you dissuade them or would you say go for it? I'd say go for it. You know, I'm lucky to have so much support around me, but it's nothing you know, I couldn't have figured out with a little extra effort. Um, I would say absolutely. We are prepared to do this kind of work, people coming from that background and yeah, say go for it. Great. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier that you found the transition into the remote environment a little bit challenging at times. Pandemic aside, we've all only worked remote at global. It's kind of one of the core pieces of our company culture is that we want people to feel comfortable at work and we want to be able to pick the best people from all over the country and we don't want anybody to have to move. I find that, you know, we can work just as efficiently, if not more efficiently than an in-person company in the remote environment, because we have several processes established so that we do that. But what was your experience in the remote world? What do you think about it? Did you find the transition hard or was it, you know, what's rewarding about it? What's not so great? I love it. I didn't think it was too bad, to be honest. I think it takes the right people around you to, to make it possible. Um, and I think we're all pretty good about that here when, you know, when new people start making ourselves available, encouraging people to reach out when they have questions. But as long as you have that around you, I think, I think it's pretty darn easy and I hope to never work in an office again. <laughs> Don't miss the commute. Um, you know, it's pretty nice. Um, and I, I truly don't think it has a negative impact on the work we do. Great. 
Jacob, thank you so much for coming on Chasing Compliance today. We really appreciate your insight and perspective. Do you have any other messages for DPTs out there that are looking for a change and are a little bit nervous about going into the regulatory world or have any message to them about quality of life, compensation, anything? Do you feel like it's better here than it was in the DPT world? Look, any messages for those that are in a clinical setting right now, but like the shoe doesn't fit and want to change? I think the biggest thing to remember is, although I invested a lot of time and years and money into physical therapy, you know, I'm never getting any of that back. And that's not, that alone is not a good reason to keep doing something that you might not enjoy. And that's kind of what it came down to for me. Um, you know, and I really took the time to look at the reasons for staying, you know, none of those were really that meaningful. Um, and I think life is just too short, you know, to, to be doing something you don't enjoy, especially when, you know, you're investing that much time out of your week into it. So it's, it can be scary to like make such a drastic career change, but you don't try it, you're never going to know. The sunk cost fallacy is real. And don't spend your life doing something that you don't want to do just because you feel like you should. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It, things things are good on the regulatory writing side. We can, we can both vouch for that. <laughs> Definitely. All right. We like to end every episode and every interview with a, a fun, very non-serious thing called Favorite Friday Nights, where we discuss what your favorite way to either celebrate a huge regulatory win or to decompress after a long week in your home office. So what's your favorite way to spend Friday night or what are you excited about doing this Friday? And are you the type of person that likes to leave the office a little early on Fridays to go out and do something fun? Or are you the type of guy that wants to make sure that everything's buttoned up so you come into a zero mess, stress-free Monday? Oh, man. It depends on the Friday. I'd say normally I'm the type of person who likes to wrap up my week. Not, not the type to cut out early by any means, but every once in a while something's calling and it's, it's tough to resist. Which is, you know, yet another perk of the remote environment. Favorite things to do. You know, I love barbecuing this time of year. Been enjoying a, a lot of mountain biking this summer as well. I'm fortunate to live in the mountains in Colorado. So, you know, despite the pandemic, there's lots of uh, outdoor activities to enjoy still. Um, this particular weekend, though, I am super excited because three of my four roommates are going to be out of town and I'm going to have a nice laid back weekend because the last couple have been pretty darn action packed. So looking forward to a little peace and quiet going at a little bit slower pace. That sounds really nice. All right, Jacob, thanks again for coming on to this episode and for sharing your insight and your experience with us. It's really valuable. And I hope that DPTs out there will seriously give regulatory medical writing a consideration when they're looking for a change. Thanks for having me. Once again, a big thank you to Jacob. Our next guest on today's episode is Juliet Pena. 
Juliet earned a BS in biochemistry and a BA in Spanish from Arizona State University and moved across the state to earn her MD and MPH from the University of Arizona. Prior to joining Global, Juliet worked as a medical editor and freelance medical writer for institutions such as the NIH and the American Physicians Institute. Currently, she is a CER writer on both the EU and China CER teams at Global. Let's welcome Juliet. Juliet, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So let's just jump right in. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to go to medical school and you know what the underlying reasons or your underlying passions were? What led you to pursue a professional degree? Sure. So growing up, I always had this long-term interest in health and wellness. And I also am, am, had the unfortunate situation where I had to take care of my mother who had lupus and kidney failure. And she actually passed away right before I went to medical school. But that's where my, my interest in health and medicine really started in, in those younger years of mine. And then I also liked having the challenges and the idea of being the first doctor in my family was appealing. So I, I, I went up for that and applied. And so that's where I ended up going to University of Arizona. And now I kind of set a precedent in my family, I think. So now my, my brother's actually uh, in residency after uh, also deciding to pursue medicine. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom, but that's a really neat story and way to be a trailblazer in your family. That's really cool. How did you how did you first find out about regulatory or medical writing and what were your first impressions? So when I was a third or fourth year medical student, I had a, there was a guest speaker that came to my medical school and talked to us about medical writing. And I really didn't think much of it at the time, but I felt like this seed was planted and even though the focus was more on like health communications writing and not until later I learned about regulatory medical writing. Okay. That's interesting. So in the speech that you heard, what, what did the person cover? Did you learn about different types of medical writing um, or, you know, the process? What, what did they actually talk about? Do you remember? It was a while ago, but I do remember how they talked about um, kind of the different types of health communications writings that for, for different pharmaceutical companies, but more from like a training aspect for the the farm reps. There are other things like writing news stories for health companies. So just things along those lines. There's all, they also talked about editing for manuscripts. Uh, for publication to scientific journals. So it was a variety of things. And the idea was, hey, this is kind of another option for you if you don't necessarily want to do the clinical route after medical school. Well, it's great that that you were able to be exposed to that. And that was something when I was first looking at medical writing that I thought was really interesting is that there's there's a few different genres, if you will, or health communications rather is, is probably a better term. But that there's, there's kind of a promotional side, there's a technical side, and there's a regulatory side. Um, and they all demand somewhat different skill sets, 
um, and are by nature different patient information, advertisements, that type of thing that kind of qualifies as health communications, but it's more on the promotional side. And then there's, you know, the hardcore CMC or chemistry manufacturing controls writing, which is, you know, I would consider more technical writing, um, demonstrating, you know, uh, that there's, there's compliance with ISO standards. And then there's regulatory writing and strategy, which, is bigger picture summary documents focusing on demonstrating compliance with a large regulation like the FDA, you know, 510K or PMA pathway or the EU MDR or medical device regulation. So there's all these different types of pathways. What, what will, how did you land your first regulatory or medical writing or health communications job? And why did you come over to the regulatory side as opposed to going towards more of a promotional health communication or publication writing type role? Yep. So I actually started as a freelance writer um, after I completed a research fellowship at Temple University that was in infectious diseases and immunology. And the mentor that I worked with actually thought I was a good writer. So he hired me after I finished my fellowship to help review and edit the manuscripts that were written by his students, a lot of whom spoke English as a second language. And so as a, a fellow, I also was uh, got experience kind of serving as an academic editor for peer-reviewed scientific journals. So that really um, allowed me to gain that extra perspective on what these journals are looking for. And so that's where I my first real writing experience began. And then I landed my first full-time writing job as a contractor at the National Institutes of Health. But once I learned about regulatory writing, I felt like this was a much nicer way to use my medical background. And especially when it comes to like evaluating therapies for safety and performance and leaning on those the, that knowledge that I had on adverse events um, and how they could relate to the anatomy in the body when devices or procedures are done a certain way. Well, that's awesome. That you, it, it is a nearly interesting line of work writing clinical evaluation reports or CERs. You really get to see kind of all aspects of the medical device from doing a full blown meta analysis on all of the published and unpublished data pertaining to a device. So you get to see all sides of it, which I, I do think is kind of nice. And it's also why there are a ton of work, but so you came from the NIH into global. What was it like transitioning between medical school and your first real position as a, as a writer? And then what was it like transitioning out of the NIH into to the regulatory side? And I can imagine that the jump from medical school to your fellowship and working on publications was a little bit less of a big change than from working at the NIH and essentially still staying in the publication realm and moving to the regulatory side, or am I totally off base? Oh, no, um, it totally makes sense. Like, I think I learned a lot really along the way and Ultimately, I relied on my foundation as a writer, and I, I really attribute that to like 
my English teachers through grade school. <laughs> um, but I think having the extra knowledge from medical school really helped in just the overall understanding of health and science. And so when I started um, working at NIH, I thought, well, this is, I enjoy this, but I also wanted to gain experience in regulatory writing, but didn't quite know how, since it always seemed like everywhere I looked, they were looking for experience. And was, I thought, well, maybe I have to do this course in uh, regulatory affairs to get the certification. So I was ready to take that. And fortunately, I, I got in touch with M. Stevens, our CEO at Global. And it was through LinkedIn. And I found her since she was a presenter for the AMO conference I attended back in 2018. We didn't actually meet in person until a year later, but I was really happy when she said that hey, Global actually trains uh, new writers in regulatory writing. You know, in medicine, you learn a lot about the different uh, devices used, but not so much in depth like you would for uh, CER, where you're evalu evaluating the, the very technical aspects of each device. So um, I started with neuromodulation devices, which was a little more familiar uh, for me than some of the cardiac devices and accessories that I started working on later. But in the end, you know, once I learned about one device, I think learning and working on another one in that similar scope made it easier. Awesome. Would you say that you rely heavily on your writing skills as a regulatory writer? Or would you say that writing is an important piece of it, but you rely more heavily on your clinical background. And why I'm asking this question is just a second ago, you said, you know, I, I really give my grade school teachers credit for making me a strong writer. And that's really helpful in this realm. And I would like to play devil's advocate and say that you don't necessarily have to be a super duper duper strong writer to succeed in regulatory writing, what you do need to do, what you do need to have is a really strong critical thinking skill set and understand science and medicine and be able to write clearly, effectively, and concisely. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree with that statement really, because I think you need to have you need you need to be able to write clearly and no matter what it is you're writing about, in this case, the devices and uh, what the what the whole evaluation is for them, but and indeed you do need to know like what you have to be able to critically analyze. Is this something that I would include as a state of the art? And would this adverse event um, is this related to the device or not? In the end, you know, most all the adverse events get reported, but. I think in being able to analyze the overall picture and create that evaluation for like the risk benefit analysis, those are things that require higher critical thinking skills. So I'm kind of 50, 50, I would have to say, and you're writing um, the writing background and scientific or clinical knowledge that I feel like that's really, they both go hand in hand. Uh, it's not to say I know some people who have no background in science from 
undergrad and they were able to pick up those things quickly. So it kind of also depends how quick of a learner are you? So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it, it definitely <laughs> depends on your, your personality and your, and your, you know, innate kind of the way that you think about things and your willingness to learn if you don't have a scientific background. Um, but I, you know, I just, to anybody out there, I don't want to dissuade you from regulatory writing. If you don't think you write like, um, you're not JK Rowling or you're not, <laughs> um, Ernest Hemingway. That's not what's important. Right. It, it, you have to write right. clearly. No creative writing. Yeah, it's it's. There's nothing creative <laughs> about it. But but having you know really strong grammatical skills and you know being a strong writer in general is is really important. Um, but you don't again need to be have a best selling novel before you move into the regulatory writing space. In <laughs> fact, many of us don't. Um, so I would, I personally, I would not yeah. consider myself as a super duper strong writer. What I can do is I can write very concisely and clearly. And I think that that's, you know, that's, a, that's effective in a lot of ways. Right. So, and being able to synthesize a large amount of information from different source documents into one piece. Yeah. And, and it, like having that skill to look through and to be able to pick the the pieces out that are important and to be able to evaluate it and summarize it. But that's, that's really more critical thinking. And that's, you know, that's where I, th exactly. I think, you yeah. know, going to some type of graduate school or uh, working in the scientific field, whether it's engineering or medicine or hard science, physiology, what have you. We have several people on our staff who evaluate clinical research day in and day out and didn't do a lick of clinical research in their PhD training, but they have the critical thinking skills um, to be able to evaluate those types of things. And I think that that's, that's really important. I, I think for people without that background, it can be challenging. It definitely can be done. One of our strongest writers on our team, I don't think had a, a, a deep research background, but um, you know, she's just really driven and kind of taught herself everything that she needs to know. What were your biggest concerns for coming into regulatory writing? And did they really, were they as bad as you thought they were going to be? Did any of these bad things that you were thinking were to happen materialize at all? Um, well, I didn't think I would be writing about medical devices at first. I thought I was going to go straight into the clinical, like pharmaceutical drugs and writing in that area. So I didn't have that. I have like no background in biomedical engineering, which I thought I would need in order to really understand medical devices. But I soon learned that I was able to understand those technical files and, and pick what I needed to use for those evaluations. I also, I think once I committed to writing CERs, I thought, well, maybe it would be challenging to expand to the other areas of regulatory writing, like the clinical study reports. But I found that even at Global, there are opportunities to cross-train and, and gain experience in those other areas. And so far, I've already had some experience with the BLA documents. Would you say that things get easier over time? You've already hinted at this a little bit, but I think that we all have a little bit of sticker shock, maybe is not the right term or phrase, but we all see our first CER and go, uh-oh, or read our first hazard analysis and feel overwhelmed. It definitely does get easier. And I feel like even in the beginning, 
and I didn't have everything thrown at me at once. I, I mean, part of it is just like the great mentorship I have, but you know, I was exposed to things piece by piece and then you know, still having that overall picture in mind. But once I had one part honed down, then I would move on, on to the next. So obviously nobody who writes CERs or is in regulatory writing or medical writing right now has, you know, started with experience, right? Um, we all had to start somewhere. And we at Global really, really like to bring on new people and then mentor them into great medical writers. And I think a lot of us have noticed that there are some skills that make people succeed more so than others. There's some innate skills or talents or experiences. What do you think? What do you think makes a good regulatory medical writer from the start? So I think we've kind of hinted at this earlier, but I would say people who are good communicators, you know, are able to address issues clearly as they arise. People who have a scientific or medical background, that's, that's a plus. Also, you know, if you have a regulatory or bioengineering background, that's like an even greater plus, but not totally necessary for CER writing. And those with disciplined, I think, really excel. Also, people who are reliable, since, you know, we want to meet these project deadlines and not leave people hanging. So, you know, since they're working remotely, it's really important to be reliable and trustworthy. And then uh, lastly, I would say those with, you know, great attention to detail. I think that's really important since don't want to submit anything that could be potentially incorrect. Yeah, exactly. I think attention to detail is really important. And yes, you do, no matter whether you work alone or or in a team remotely or in an office, um, having a, having discipline is important because there are going to be times where you're going to have to sit down and, and work through a complicated problem or section. And it's going to be hard, no matter how you slice the cake or what you do, you're just going to have to get through it. I mean, that's the nature of almost all professional work. Um, but being, yes, being reliable is, is really important and having attention to detail is really important and understanding also on the flip side of the attention to detail piece that, you're not perfect. Um, your your work isn't going to be perfect all the time. And you, you have to not have an ego about checking your people's work. And you also need to understand that even you can make mistakes and be able to look at your yeah. work with a critical eye. I had I personally with like critical things, I read them three times. And still, I really prefer if somebody else can take a look at it because your eyes just miss things, right? If you've written it and you've read it, it's hard to see, you know, little things here and there. At least I find. Yeah, definitely. And you definitely want to be open to critique because you're going to get a lot of that, especially in the beginning. So it's, you know, I would never take it uh, personally. It's just trying to improve your work and you know, eventually you can do the same for others. Yeah, exactly. So you probably know this better than anyone, but I kind of felt this way graduating after completing my PhD. I, you know, looked at regulatory writing and half of me was more than half of me was like, man, this sounds really cool. I really like this, but I felt bad to some degree about, um, not, 
using my training and not pursuing a scientific career and not continuing my line of research, I, I can imagine this is, this feeling is even more acute for physicians like yourself, right? Where you've just, you know, invested a lot of time and resources into developing a very, not a very specific skill set, but a very, uh, useful skill set. And, you know, I think a lot of people may feel the need to use that, even though they don't necessarily want to Right? like, what do you, what message do you have for those people? And do you think that you use your skills that you learned in medical school and that you've developed throughout your professional training and your fellowship? Oh, no. Well, I'm glad to say I I definitely do use those skills and things that I learned during uh, medical school and my fellowship since, you know, I think especially as a regulatory writer, I've probably have used it even more than when I was writing uh, like research news stories just because it's it's more technical in terms of again i think the the safety and performance analysis of these therapies are really where you get to rely on those those clinical skills and experience i understand when people might have that little guilty feeling where they're not pursuing the clinical route but if it's just not for you, then I, you know, I think medical writing really does offer a great alternative where you don't feel like you're just wasting those skills that you built. And also your school loans will be paid off. So, you know, salary, it will be pretty decent. The debt will go away someday. I promise it will, it will, it will. <laughs> what do you, what would you say that your like your top experience from your previous career and professional training or, or top skill that you've learned that's helped you in your role at global? So I would say, you know, just the overall anatomy and uh, physiology understanding and as well as, you know, that really helps to understand some of these procedures that are described, especially with the cardiac devices. So at global, we are 100% remote pandemic or no pandemic. How has that transitioned for you? Do you like working remote? I love working remotely. And especially since I used to drive so many hours from from Pennsylvania to Maryland to work at NIH, I've gained so many hours in my week not having to commute and put on that professional attire. I mean, there are days where I would just be in my robe at home and have to still convince my husband that I'm working. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I love working remotely. I know my friends joke that they say, Oh, Oh, you have a meeting. Does that mean you have to go take a nap or something like that? And I'm I'm like, guys, I have a real job and I work very hard and I don't have to commute anymore, but I'm with you too. I had a, I had a, like a 45 minute to an hour and a half commute each way for five years. Mm -hmm. And I went from that to across the hall. Right. Well, you heard it here. If you're a physician and you're sick of treating sneezes and sniffles, there is a different way. So um, we like to close out every show with a little fun thing that's totally independent of some of our more serious conversations. It's called uh, Favorite Friday Night. We all work really hard and we all have a way that we like to decompress, whether that's on Friday night or after returning a major deliverable. Again, global, we're huge work-life balance advocates and very much enjoy our weekends. What's your favorite way to spend Friday night? And, or what's your favorite way to celebrate after a win? 
And are you the type of person that leaves early on Friday afternoon or are you the type of person that stays however late on Fridays to make sure that everything's buttoned up for you on Monday? So I'm a trail runner. So I would say that I, even though I regularly like to run, but even more so on my Friday afternoon after I finish a long weekend, so a lot of times I will just fit in a run in my Friday afternoon and go with my dogs. And then I sometimes will, oh, if needed, I'll finish working in the evening. So in the end, I, you know, dogs are happy and calm. And then at the same time, my husband gets to play his video games while I'm out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, overall, I, I, I really like to just go out and try new things, go to new places We've, I live in a small town of about 5,000 people, so there isn't like a whole lot to do, but the nature is great, and I do have my Rita's here, so I can go get my gelati, and we have a local Vietnamese shop where I can get banh mi sandwiches, so that's kind of one fun thing I like to do um, on my Friday evenings. So That's awesome. Well, thank you, Juliet, so much for your time. That sounds like a wonderful Friday night and it was great to hear your perspective. You came from somewhat of a definitely non-traditional route and it seems like you're enjoying life now. And so I'm really glad um, there are other options out there and Juliet is living proof. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Chasing Compliance. And once again, a big thank you to our guests, Jacob Hoffman and Juliet Pena for joining us today. If you have any further questions regarding the internship or would like to get in touch with fellow writers, please contact us through our website at www.globalrwc.com. If you navigate to the internship page through the career section, you can also find out more details on the internship and an application. In the Education Center, you can find more episodes of the podcast. On the website, you can also find more information regarding our approach to solving a variety of regulatory and clinical challenges. If you missed part one of this episode, I would highly suggest going back and listening. There we discuss the transition into medical writing from academia and a lot more about the internship itself. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, or share this with your colleagues. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app you are listening on. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.